Hey folks, welcome back to the segment podcast. This is episode 136 with our special guest, Kristen B. Kristen is a sideline reporter who is doing amazing work for all of us here in the action sports world. Now you may have seen her on Fox Sports 1, NBC Sports, or if you were watching X Games Ventura, you definitely have seen her there. If you're coming to us from the moto world, you've definitely seen her coverage in the world of moto. Before we jump into the episode and talk about Kristen's story, I do want to say thank you to the supporters of the segment podcast and YouTube channel. Big thanks going out to YT Industries, YT, live uncaged with YT bikes. Also, Kenda Tires, helping you keep that rubber side down and giving you the traction that you deserve while out on the trails. Also, Tasco MTB Apparel, whether it's pants, shorts, gloves, shirts, jerseys, Tasco has you covered literally head to toe. Spy Optic, big things going out to Spy for your wear in the goggle world and in lifestyle with the glasses. Spy keeping your eyes clear, clean, and covered. Whatever it is that you need, Spy has it there for you. Take a look at them as well. 6D Helmets, the precision in science behind 6D Helmets is just unbelievable. Take a look at 6D Helmets if you're in the market for a new half shell and soon to come a brand new type of full face but they have put a ton of money into research for us to keep our brains healthy. Not if, it's for when we do crash out there having a good time. And last but not least, big thanks going out to Capu Coffee for being able to provide a yummy tasting coffee for the listeners of the segment podcast. And that money helps get kids out on bikes and in nature. Again, that's Kapu Coffee, K-A-P-U.com and select the bag, the sender to get that delicious, yummy tasting whiskey aged barrel, medium roasted bean for your coffee cup. All right, without further ado, a few more words from these sponsors and we'll just get you right into the show. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Mark Hill, and this is the segment the podcast. I believe in humans potential that the ultimate expression of oneself is achievable. And we all have that urge, that need to progress and become better. And I feel that the trail can help us do that. Whether it's overcoming fears, learning from mistakes, taking calculated trail risks, or building those long lasting friendships. It's all progression. Join me as I speak with folks who are moving from the ordinary to the extraordinary, and let's catch them on their journey towards the KOM of their life. Welcome to the segment. Let's go. Hey, what's up, senders? Welcome back to the Segment Podcast. This is episode 136 with special guest and TV personality, Kristen B. What's up, Kristen? What is up? Hi, hi, hi. I love that you're out in California, by the way, home state. Yes, yes. 
Are you a California girl by by start? Um, listen, through and through, a hundred percent. I love living on the East Coast, though, and there are beautiful spots out here. But you never, you know, nothing's like home. So El Cajon was home for me. And twenty-five minutes outside of San Diego, USD girl went to USD, go Toreros. So yeah, I love that you're in Murrieta. Though my brother used to live there. Yeah, it's a this place is growing crazy, and uh, man. So good for moto, so good for mountain bike. It's nuts yeah. out here. Yeah, so, everything's up in that up in that direction. Smecula is booming too. Like I remember when I was growing up, Smecula was just this little teeny wine country. Now you got people trickling down from LA. It's the uh, you know it's the Sonoma of the South. Yeah, it really is. It's it's going crazy. A lot of the a lot of the wineries. I think the last time I saw there were forty eight possible licensed wineries. There could be more. But geez, every time I'm I here learn. for it, I'm here for <laughs> it. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Kristen, I can't wait to uh, jump into your story and uh, have you interact with the folks here in the chat. I do want yeah, to say I'm what's up. I'm just connecting right now. I'm figuring I went to connect because I wanted to say hi to someone in the chat. Oh, like, sweet. Okay. Who is, is it? Little, uh, I, well, they said, hi, Kristen. And it's y'all, this is all new to me. This is, and they said, hi, Kristen. So I want to say hi back. Post comment. Oh, that, that hi. Is, <laughs> is rad, isn't it? It's so cool. It is. MTB Nick 316. There it is. Hi, Kristen. Good, hi. good to see What's you. That? And for the folks out there that are listening, um, it, it has finally shined a light to me that uh, we give a whole shot award out on the show at 630 when the show starts. And it's whoever makes the first comment at 630 wins the whole shot award. I was listening to another podcast. I think it was Women's Mountain Bike Network. And when they started their show, they're like, hey, I heard that Mark from the segment gives a, a whole shot award. And so they were trying to do it, but they didn't know what it was. And then one of them even said, it sounds dirty. Are we allowed to do that, Mark? And I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> I know, we have to like explain it to them what the whole shot. <laughs> yeah, the whole shot, super old moto term. What happens uh Supercross, motocross, uh, and a lot of racing, actually, bike races, uh, you'll have a gate that you start out of. The gate drops. The bikes go. The first bike to reach a certain point before the first turn, usually some places it's just always the first turn or the person who's leading going into the first turn, but some places actually have like indicators like here's the whole shot and here's the whole shot line if you know the track is unique, but it's the first bike leading all the other bikes to that direct point before the first turn. There it is. There yeah. it is by Kristen beat the definition of the whole shot leading into the first turn. If you're the first one in that first turn, the whole shot. Now in some races, do they actually give awards out for the whole shot? Yeah. yeah. So even in arena cross whole shot award, they get a spark plug every week. I've been in a lot of series AFT every once in a while. They will uh flat track and definitely in supercross. There's always a whole shot award a long time ago. Toyota used to sponsor it. And I think like at the end of the year, the person with the most whole shots won a truck. Like it's a big deal. Um, oh, and it certainly affects the, you know, the race because you don't, I mean, there are very few opportunities, especially in arena cross, which I have covered for like 10 years now, uh, where if you start outside of the top three, where you'll win the race. But I mean, if you have the whole shot, like you will command the race and even in Supercross, you know, you want a good start. You want to make the race easier on yourself. Interesting. So statistically, yeah, that's why that is such an important place. Very cool. Very, very cool. Now, Girl from El Cajon, grows up in San Diego, goes to UCS, UC, 
USC, University of USC. San Diego. You were right. You were close. You were close because it is confusing down there. They got UCSD. That's the school for all the really smart science kids. You got SDSU, which was, hey, any SDSU fans, please don't hate me, but that was the party school. My mom and dad said I couldn't go there. Um, but <laughs> you get a good education there, but there's a lot of partying out there. And then there's at USD, which is more of a private Catholic school. And I got a partial academic scholarship and a partial athletic scholarship. So that was the, that was the landing spot for me. Very, very neat. Now, were you always into action sports or were an athlete your whole life? Is how did I'm kind of trying, trying to paint the picture on how you started? I think you're the first person to ever call me an athlete. Um, <laughs> I'm not athletic by any means, um, but I, I I run. I don't know if that qualifies as athletic, yeah. but um, I grew up the little sister of a big brother who was Mr. Action Sports. Like my brother skateboarded and surfed and road motocross and yes. I always wanted to hang out with my brother because he's like my best friend so um you know I, I wanted a skateboard shortly after he did I wanted and he would he and my dad motivated me to compete and to be a part of these sports regardless of whether or not I was a you know at the time it was rare to have a girl who wanted a skateboard or a girl who wanted to go out and surf and I was not treated any differently growing up and it was so just good. a lot of I think parents try to push their girls toward dance my mom tried she tried to get me into ballet I lasted <laughs> like a week um and, and it, we had 50 motorcycles we were going out to Verona and um, I really kind of took on to surfing, which I took all the way to college with me. And it was just something that um, my soul just always felt so at peace doing. And um, uh, I would never consider myself an athlete. I did compete for a long time, but um, I never kind of reached that athlete status where I wanted to be. Because for me, it was more of like a peace journey. And oh, yeah. it was about finding something that I really loved and was passionate about and enjoyed and um but i always just loved it so i wanted to try to find a way to be a part of it further um but definitely not an athlete by any means i was still looking warrior y'all just like the rest of you <laughs> i love it i love it was it with the surfing were you dawn patrol or or did you like to do the sunset surf sessions i was bold i i Ooh. will say i was dedicated so like i would there was a lot of times i'd go surf before class before lecture hall um, and there's times too that twice a day, cause I, USD, you're right at the beach. Yeah. Um, so I'd go, you know, sometimes in the morning and get a workout in and sometimes at night and just paddle out, even if I was only out there for an hour or two at night. And then, you know, and it also kind of depend on the season. I would, I was not down patrol during winter. Um, I wasn't that hardcore, but during summer for sure, maybe twice a day. Dang. That's so good. I remember those. I used to live down in Del Mar. Oh yeah. yeah Del Mar. Uh, all those spots, like all those sessions off mm -hmm. of Eighth Street, Fourth Street, Fifteenth Street, yeah. Dog Park, all right there. I just so many fun memories of it, you know, and being in the water, watching the sun dip down, hanging out mm -hmm. with your friends, just peaceful. So Kicking peaceful. it past the break, like yeah, yeah, that was always really nice to me. And the conversations you'd have with people and like the community that you develop. I used to my go-to was Crystal Pier, and uh, there was a shaper down there who um, owned South Coast surfboards, which I only owned South Coast for the longest time. Now I own a few different you know, shapes because I'll do more things and I'm older and I need a longboard now. But uh, there was a, a shaper down there and he used to paddle out with us and like just the stories he tell, good old surf stories about this hundred foot wave that once rolled out of San Diego and oh, like yeah. just all the good stuff. And I mean, we'd sit out there with some of my college friends and it, just, it was always so much fun. And we'd skateboard or bike there. It just, it was just such a cool kind of atmosphere to grow up in. But I always 
also love traditional sports. So, you know, I'd go to baseball and basketball and football games, but this was kind of like my home. Like I, I really did enjoy surfing when I was living there. Wow. And you had mentioned too, a little bit of moto in there as well. Was that an influence from your brother and your dad? Oh yeah, absolutely. My brother raced uh, professionally at one point. And so he was on that trajectory and my dad's like, well, she's already here over the weekends. Why doesn't she ride? And so he got me a 50 and I, I took it, you know, I, I enjoyed it at the time. I was very young when I used to like race. Um, but after a while, I started picking up a camera and I enjoyed taking pictures. So I was a junior photographer. That was actually my first like paying job when I was 16. A lot of kids get jobs at like an ice cream shop, like normal yeah. kids. I'm so jealous of the kids who did get to do that, by the way. But um, <laughs> because we were always traveling as a family, um, I picked up a camera and started taking pictures and then selling them. And because at the time, everyone no had MySpace. Um, so I would like sell the photos to other writers and they'd put them on their MySpace. We would like, we would do album shots and like really cool, you know, just fun 90s kid things. Um, yeah. but yeah, so I started picking up a camera and then eventually that led to me kind of finding my way into journalism a little bit because I was behind a camera before I was in front of one for a long time. That's incredible. So as a kid, you're already getting experience seeing the shots, uh, taking them, actually selling them, and then being in that environment. So when you did later on get there, it was you weren't a stranger to that place, yeah? Not to motocross, no, not at all. Oh. I always felt very at home there. And still to the, yeah, I did say MySpace mountain bike Q&A. Back in the day, <laughs> I did say MySpace uh, because that's where people wanted their cool photos, right? Like they wanted their cool action shots and their defaults. And then um, I was pretty late to the Facebook and the Instagram train, but um yeah, so did a lot of photos with that, and it did. That, that, and so now you're studying, you're surfing, you're skating, you're riding moto, you're taking pics, mm -hmm. and now you're at college. What was what was your major? Was your, is your major journalism or communication? No, so I was actually pre-law. Um, I went ah. to college because I wanted to be a sports manager, okay. and I was always like, I don't know, I was always interested in how marginalized sports like the surfing, the skateboarding, the motocross, they really didn't have great representation with their brand partners at the time. And my brother was, um, is kind of a testament to that. He had his own story and um, supercross is so violent on your body. And I wanted to go to school so I could, in my head, I thought I was going to change the world. I was going to provide better contracts and better relationships with whether it be the TV teams or the, uh, marketing teams or the promoters, I wanted to do more for the writers. But then, um, you know, at, you go, get into college, and you fall in love with different things. And I, I still took my LSAT when I graduated college, and I was accepted into Pepperdine and Yale for graduate school, which was great. Uh, but at the time, even just the financials and logistics of going to postgraduate school, um, or going to graduate school was going to was overwhelming for me. So I went ahead and at that time was just like, I don't think this is the path I'm going to pursue. And it was really my heart saying, this is fun and I want to do this because being in TV is very fun. Um, but there's still a piece of me that always thinks like maybe someday down the road, I'll go back to school and do that. So oh, never too yeah. late. Yeah, never, never, never too late. Especially if there's uh, you being in the industry so closely, specifically now gives you a better peek behind the curtain for yeah. it. Yeah. Which and you is, can see too, sometimes if you want to make a difference on in the sport and you want to improve what maybe you see needs improving in a sport, sometimes the best way to do that is to grow that sport. And 
in my way, I feel like in certain, you know, in certain shows that I'm on, I am growing the sport and I'm trying to tell these stories and allow more people to fall in love with the sport that I fell in love with a long time ago. Yeah, that's cool. And we need that. Everyone. I mean, you're doing it too. How you told me about how at first this started as like a, you wanted to showcase people who were putting on their, you know, PRs. And it's so cool. Like it's such a cool idea to kind of showcase the stories behind the sports that we love because when other people see why you love something and it's more than just where you live, like that's the thing about traditional sports. A lot of it is where I live. I'm a Chargers fan because I'm from San Diego or LA. Um, But like for other people, it's because of the experience that I have participating in these sports. And it's so unique to action sports, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I love it. It's, the, when I first started, like you were saying, there were so many people that I would talk to and I'm just like, their story needs to be cataloged somewhere, somehow. Why don't, geez, why don't I do it? This is fun. I had, I've had people that were like over 300 pounds, started mountain biking and then got into shape, got their life back. Uh, suicidal people that mm-hmm. had PTSD from the war and came back, jumped on a mountain bike. And I was like, those stories are going to be helping so other people meaningful. out. A hundred percent. And sports say like sports are so cathartic. It's one of those things where you go out there and you put all this energy and this toxicness into like what you're doing because you can use it as an outlet to cleanse it. And it's like, for me, that was surfing for the longest time. It was skateboarding. And, um, I still, I'm an old lady now, but I still, you know, I have my longboards out in the garage. I still, when we go on vacation, like I was surfing. So I love it. I love it. You have a question here from, uh, from the audience. Oh, I didn't even go back to the, uh, let's go back to the whole shot award, Kristen. I didn't even oh. give one out. I saw somebody that said, said, you better give it to me. Okay. All right. Going, going back the whole shot award at six 30. It is the first one. I look at all the six thirties in there, Kristen, look mm-hmm. at the, the six 30 tonight goes out to Miami. Florida is on the line. Mountain bike Q and a says, give me that whole shot thing award yes you <laughs> congratulations Booyah! you are the whole shot winner, Mr. Donahue. we had trail pimp out of the lake tahoe area saying yo yo he says uh hi johnny we have oh look at this kristen bringing in new zealand in the house tonight new zealand octodad says here's johnny you what up pimp you saying everybody saying hello to everybody Double R is in here. He says, happy holidays, everyone. And uh, we got, uh, their question was from, for you, uh, down this way. Oh, I see Kristen Beat saying hi to the chat right there. She's saying, what's up? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, Let's see. Here it is. Trail Pimp is asking out of Lake Tahoe. He says, do you remember Supercross legend Damon Huffman? I'm yep. a huge swap moto fan too. Oh, here we go. The Damon Huffman generation. You're really bringing in a throwback here. So I'm in my mid thirties. I won't give you guys the number, but I do remember Damon Huffman. It was before my generation. However, um, he was a part of what I would consider the Titans of the sport. They had a shorter schedule, but it, I mean, the bikes they were riding were so different. Uh, the suspension was so different. Like they were absolute warriors for your body. And I've seen some of these like older bikes. And unfortunately uh, some of the guys have been like, Oh, just take it out for a lap. And I've ridden a few of them just for fun. And the older bikes and the technology is just so 
so gnarly and you get on one of those and it makes your body feel, I mean, 10 years older when you get off of it. And so it's like the guys like Damon Huffman's generation that were racing and riding in the conditions they were racing and riding in for the 30 minute motors they were riding for, you know, the schedules they were riding. They're just the Titans of the sport. It's so cool. I mean, just what they did back then on the equipment they did is really quite amazing. It's very impressive. Yeah, I could imagine. Man, you had me right there. You jump on and you feel 10 years older when you jump off. The suspension and everything, it's got to be. Your back, your body, the way, because I mean, the bikes too, the chassis were so different. So it's like you're just everything about your riding component is just, you have to change. So. And I didn't realize this. One of my neighbors, he lives literally across the street from me. And I finally asked him one day, like, what is it that you do? He works for KTM. Also and, cool. Well, you look very yeah. out of it. it surprised me. <laughs> yeah. And he was uh the the I guess the engine guy for the guy for the guys that race. And I looked in his garage and he has all these jerseys that are signed, all of his all of his uh racers. I had no clue that there was a suspension guy, there's the engine guy. There's like so many different people on the team to make sure that the bikes are dialed into the rider. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, a long time ago it used to be guys showing up to a track with a bike in the back of their truck. And the sport has evolved so quickly and so dramatically in the past 10 to 15 years. I mean, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and it's incredible the amount of research and R and D they put into developing these bikes now, not just for safety, but for performance as well. Wow. Times are getting faster. Everyone's getting faster. Yeah. Um, You have a Yes. Yeah, I saw that question. Ask oh, Chris. There it is. Who the best motor rider she has ever seen. I see that. What's up? That's a really tough question. Um, I don't know. I feel like when you say best motor rider, that encompasses so much. So if you're speaking from pure performance standpoint, I think Eli Tomac, I the generations you go past, you might be able to talk about Ricky Carmichael or Jeff Amick or um, you know, any number, a, a Ryan Dungey type. You can even talk about, you know, Jason Lawrence because he was just innately talented and it was on practice talent. But when I think now this generation, Eli and what he does and what I've seen him do under pressure and in clutch time is just so incredibly impressive because he balances the art of precision with speed so perfectly he will work his way through a circuit through a track and just hit every single point because there is a fastest way around the track right there is a rhythm section that's going to be a lot faster there is an apex on a turn that you're going to need to hit and he does it at such a high speed and with such precision it's an art form and there are very few people who i think have the focus and the tenacity to do that lap after lap after lap without making a mistake and in that way i think eli tomac is one of the best in our generation but then you'll also you know every once in a while uh, you'll see these generational talents uh maybe having the potential to eclipse someone like eli and i'll watch jet lawrence out on track and I'll, <clears throat> you know, even on a 250, and it's going to be really kind of a very telling season uh, in 2024 to see what he's capable of. But I think Jet Lawrence is one of those generational talents that he looks effortless on the bike. And the way he rides the bike on his toes, on the foot pegs, and how he just rolls with everything is so different than anything we've seen before 
So I'm really, it's hard to say. It's like, I think Eli, the proof is there. He is so good. He is performance wise, one of the best writers I've ever seen. Jet Lawrence, however, I think not only has the potential to eclipse that, but his talent is just so effortless that I think uh, he is super impressive on the bike as well. So right now, those are the two that I'm, that I would say kind of answer that question. That's a great answer, Eli and Jet. Now, when you're looking at the two athletes there on the track, I mean, different styles, but it now is a lot of hard work that goes into becoming that elite. But what really separates those two riders from from other riders, maybe that are like further out in the top five, 10 and so on and so forth? Is it talent, hard work, just something that you can't be taught? I think it's one of those intangibles where some of them just have it and some of them don't, whether it's the mental acuity, because for a long time, mm, yeah. you know, I, I there was a time in which you may have seen Eli Tomac race and thought he won't ever win a championship because he's checkers or wreckers. I mean, I remember back in the mid 2010s, that was Eli Tomac's nomaker. Like he was checkers or wreckers. But um, I also think the, the difference maker um, goes, there's so many things involved, right. In, in success. So whether it be your bike, the team that you surround yourself with your commitment, your health, staying healthy mm. is important too. There are a lot of really yeah. fast guys out there, but they're made of glass and they get injured, you know, in preseason testing and you <clears throat> never see their speed. So I think there's so many components, but when you really look down to, um, the guys on the podium and the guy, and here's the thing too, there's not a whole lot that separates the guys in the top five. You look at the Supercross pool of talent right now, and the guys in the top five are within a tenth of a second. Oh what separates God. the guys in the top five from the guys outside of the top five? Then you start to see some separation, maybe even outside of the top ten. So I could probably name seven guys right now that could yeah. win a Supercross main event because the talent is so deep. But when Jeez. you look outside of maybe seven, um, <clears throat> that's when things really get interesting. So um, I think – I think at that point, you're looking at bike performance, you're looking at health, you're looking at uh, confidence. Confidence is huge. You don't succeed in the sport of Supercross without being fully confident. Line selection starts. There's just a lot that goes into it. But what what is really cool about the sport at this point in time, at least the sport of Supercross and Motocross, is how close the guys in the top seven are to each other. That's just It's insane to think that there are – um, on any given night, at least five different riders that could contend for a win in the Supercross class. But also, the, again, this season may be different because Jet Lawrence is a difference maker. He is um, he's a, a radical change to the sport, I think, in the 450 class, too. Wow, that's cool. That's pretty exciting. Thank you for your answer on that. I really, I really appreciate that. That's it's got to be so hard too to think who's going to be if you're betting. To say like, oh, this guy's gonna win. This guy's got it. Because I'm sure everywhere you go, the track's got to be different. So you have all these variables, you know. Yeah. Um, like you said, equipment. The uh, dirt and I know, sometimes yeah. even is a difference maker, right? So we see Cooper Webb yeah. being so good on what he grew up on, like these really sticky, tacky clays, and then he goes out to a hard pack track, and he's not always as confident or as successful, but. That, again, yeah. it's so weird to be mentioning like Cooper Webb's name because now he's with Star Racing Yamaha, and I mean every year the teams change the seasons are different it's just this is going to be a really exciting year for that sport 
That's very cool. That's going to be fun. You get me excited by the way you talk about the the moto. I need to learn more about it. I have a friend who is a mountain biker, and she used to be a pro moto rider, but for women's before they retired, it was a 11, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. Oh, There's a lot of yeah, uh, April Zastro. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I used to watch her. I'm a big fan because, I mean, growing up in the sport, like you kind of see everybody. I know exactly who April is. I'm a big fan if you're watching. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. So, somebody said that, and I can't confirm who said it because I have no idea if this is true or not, but are, have you heard, are they bringing women's pro racing back? I cannot confirm nor deny that. I have Ooh. not heard that yet. It would be awesome if they did, because let's be honest, anytime you can start growing a sport in that way and just inspiring more girls to get out and ride, let's go girls. So yeah. I hope they are. That'd be very cool. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. And then speaking of girl writers, um, I wanted to bring up the Instagram because I see you out there. Let's see. That is you X Games Ventura, which I have a question about too. But here you are back in here. I, did ha I had it teed up, but there's so many pics. If you guys want to take a look at Kristen's uh, Instagram, it's incredible. You travel so much. Yeah, I'm gone a lot. <laughs> that is cool. But now you ride as well. Like you don't just cover, but you ride as we talked about earlier. But where where is your bike? I saw them down here before. There's your horses. Hey. Yeah, there's the horses. They would be a lot closer. I only started riding again maybe in the last year. I took a little time off. My body needed it. Um, I was doing a lot of travel, and so well, that would not be my bike. That is Dalton Gautier's AFT bike. That is much faster than my bike and has much wider oh. tires. <laughs> yeah, it would be uh, way further up there on the timeline. I only started riding again in the last year. I broke out. Oh, there we go. I uh, broke out the farm bike, and uh, – <coughs> Should be somewhere up there. I actually am trying to sell my 150. Fun note if you guys are wanting to buy a Honda 150, which is a great starter bike. Um, I don't even remember when I took this. Oh, yeah, I oh. do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I stopped riding for a little bit. We all love that. Um, but I only recently started getting back into it, and I kind of was at a point in my life. Yeah, there it is, the 51 right there. I was at a point in my life where I just sort of decided it would be fun. Let's get out there and do it again. And uh, it has been fun. So. So good. Does that bring back a little bit of childhood memories, jumping on a bike like that? Very around? Yeah. Super nostalgic. And it's cool because like my family got into it for a little bit, but I, uh, I realized I can't have my dad and my brother trackside anymore because their feedback, they're like constantly yelling at me. It's like, yeah. So um, we're a very competitive family and we love each other. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, my brother's like one of my best friends, but he'll be at the center week, stand up and get into this. And I'm just like, I just want to ride slow. And like, I'll stall the bike every once in a while. And it's because I like to ride slow. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not athletic. I'm not meant to be a racer. It's just for fun. It's, it's that, and that's what it's for. You, you know, this is sports are fun. Sports are yeah. fun. Yeah. Mountain yeah. biking is fun. I've, that's one of those things that I uh, I grew up mountain biking quite a bit. I've got a funny story about mountain biking too, by the way. So Ooh, let's uh, hear it. Let's hear it. That was a good tee up. So y'all want to hear an unathletic story about me? I uh, 
I was in college and we used to all the time go up to Mammoth and Big Bear during the summer and you get to go down the trails and yes. um, you take the gondola up, right? And there's like different yeah. options that you don't have to go up the hill with the, you know, you don't have to work as hard. There are certain places even in Southern California where you get this nice little gondola up and you can downhill mountain bike and it was so perfect. Fun. It was just my speed for the unathletic <laughs> person like myself. And it made me fall in love with some of those areas too and being outdoors. And uh, when I was in college, a guy friend of mine who I liked at the time had a little crush on him. He was going home to see his family in Idaho. And he's like, hey, do you want to go? I know you do some mountain biking. My sister's got a mountain bike and all the gear and this and that. And so uh, I flew up and went to Idaho with them. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, oh, we'll take the gondola to the top of this thing. We get to the bottom of a very tall mountain in Idaho. And they're like, yeah, we're going to mountain bike it. And I'm like, where's the gondola? And yeah, I was not, I was not prepared for that. So I made it about like halfway up the hill and then found another trail and turned down. Yeah. He'll still text me every once in a while. And he's like, remember when you thought there was a gondola on the mountain? <laughs> but I, I do love mountain biking. It's so much fun. I haven't done that in a long time too. It's just, you know, it, when you're traveling so much as we were talking about, you don't always have the time to do that, but I have whitewater center right down the road from me. So um, a lot of my friends out here who who ride train down there. So I'm going to have to go down there sometime this off season. Oh yeah. Yeah. get back to the, the, it's so fun. Like you said, it's just, I think too, when you're busy, I, I don't travel as much as you, but when I do travel, I know when I get back, like, I just want to get my feet back in my roots. And sometimes that's the quietest, most pristine place that's uncrowded and just beautiful, you know, out in nature. Mm -hmm that resets me and it feels so good and the mountain bike can bring me there which is uh, amazing i love that yeah. uh, you got a question here from uh, marty out of new zealand he's asking what nationality is Kristen?" so i nationality that's really interesting so i am my mom is from germany and my dad is uh also from germany and sweden so i'm predominantly german yeah. There you go. There you go. Another one here too. Trail Pimp is asking, Kristen, do, do you like Ken Roxon? I love my new Canyon e-bike that is inspired by him and looks like a dirt bike. I love that question. I love, honestly, and this sounds so weird, um, but of all the sports that I cover, I love Supercross because I love the community. I love every single rider. They're like family. We talk during the off season. They give me a hard time, but especially Ken Roxon. And having covered World Supercross, you know, the past two years, he has been a major part of that. And getting to know him better has been such a privilege because he really is, oh gosh, so resilient. He's been through so much. His body's been through so much. He battles so much that he doesn't even tell people about. And uh, I wanted to sit down with him uh, two years ago, three years ago, when I was working with domestic Supercross. And in that sit down interview, I felt so cheesy, but I started crying because he was explaining uh -huh. to me the battle that he faces with Epstein-Barr, which is a debilitating illness to some, and how uh -huh. the injury that he had to his wrist, which should have been career ending, to this day, like there are certain times he can't feel and the arm pump gets so bad, he can barely hang on. And wow. it's not a choice to let go. And you, you hear all these things that he's internally battling that you would never think of. So when he gives up a position on track, you just think, oh, well, he just made a mistake. But there's so much that 
creates that moment of, of failure or fatigue for him. And it's not just physical, it's mental. It's all the things he's battling at home. And you just feel that. And uh, he's before moving to Suzuki, he was probably one of the most harshly criticized athletes because he did take some time to himself and took some time away from the sport. And people wanted to paint that a certain way. And I felt so bad for him because knowing what he was going through personally, and he is just honestly, he's a unicorn. After watching him at World wow. Supercross, he battled back from so many bad starts and starting from the second row in Abu Dhabi. And after Vince Freeze took him down in a corner, he gets back up and works him in the whoops. And it was just one of those things that you watch and you're like, this guy's a unicorn. Like he's a generational talent. He is so great. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that is really, really special to see. So, uh, yes, uh, do I absolutely. I like all the writers. Um, I think Ken is very special. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Trepin, for that question. Awesome, Kristen. And I could see that community feel in the way you answered that question. That's That's got to be kind of tough as well. Like, you get to know these athletes when you're out there watching them battle. It's like, it's hard to pick one, right, that you're favored yeah. for because you love them all. And then you know that they're up against things, whether it be injury or something in their life or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's got to make it so much more, like, exhilarating maybe is the word I'm looking for. Maybe not. It's, it's Well, it's fun to follow. At the end of the day, it is a fun sport to watch. I will say in the last year, it has become that much harder because you are so close with them. And when they – are injured or something happens on track, it can be jarring. And it's really hard to like kind of get your head back in the game and be like, wait, no, I have to give a report. I have to stay serious. So one of my best all-time friends is Jace Owen. We've worked together for 10 years, traveled in very, you know, the arena cross series and supercross and all these things. And he got her in Melbourne, Australia. And I, that was one of the hardest things for me to see, but my producer got in my ear and he's like, Hey, is he okay? And I, you know, at the time we didn't know, um, but I challenged myself and I was like, okay, turn around, take a deep breath. You're still on live TV, continue, try to help if you can and go from there. And it's, it, I think tested me as a reporter to see like, can you work through this? Can you be best friends with somebody and then still cover the sport they're competing in? The answer for me is absolutely yes. But it definitely was one of those things that challenged me because I wanted very much so just to like walk away and follow my friend to the hospital. But in sure. instances like that, you just can't. Them. Wow. Wow. Let's talk about that talent too, because um, we've been talking about a lot of the the racers and athletes, but let's talk about you as a reporter, a, a journalist. That's so you're, you're going through college. You, you wanted to help represent and build the relationship with these athletes, with the companies. And at what point did you decide getting in front of the camera was what you were going to do? And how does somebody do that? So crazy. I honestly, there are a lot of people who are set their intention to do that right in college because you can major in broadcast tv but i was working at the time as an intern for wasserman media group which is a sports management firm i wanted to work for them so bad they were the it company they were based out of carlsbad a lot of folks wanted to work with wmg and at the time it was steve astekin and i interned with him and i interned with um a property that wasserman media group owned they own motocross.com and surf.com and all these dot coms that was the dot com era uh, yeah. So at the time when I was interning at that office, they were also having me write articles for those different websites because, you know, you're in college, you're a college kid, go get coffee, write us this article that we need to post about our athlete on the website that we own and, you know, then come back and you can maybe take a glimpse at this contract we're reviewing. 
And at the time I'm writing these articles and I enjoyed it so much because it was like storytelling and I love stories. I love telling stories. So I'm sitting there writing these articles. They knew that I had a camera. So they started having me going out and taking pictures and, um, uh-huh. then yeah, I came back so, from the past. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, at the time, um, they had posted something online on motocross.com that they were hiring for an intern. So I immediately like put in my resume for that. And then this guy, Brendan Lutz brought me in and he was working for trans world at the time. And oh, he was yeah. like, you want to come in and interview? And I was like, my mom was like, go do it. It'll be fun. So I did. And so then I became a full-time staff writer for motocross.com. And then after that, a gal that was covering freestyle motocross had to miss a weekend and fuel. She was working on fuel TV at the time. Fuel TV came on and gave me a call and said, Hey, do you want to come do a TV show with us? And I'm like, no, like there's no, this absolutely not. Like I don't want to be on TV, but then I took the job and I ended up loving it. What changed? How, how'd you go from like, no, no, no to like, I'll take it. It's funny. I just did it the one day. And to be quite honest, the pay was really good. And I'm in college and I was like, well, that'll buy two cases of beer. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, uh, I went ahead and did it and I loved it. It just, it's a feeling. And it's, I I think in some ways it's very competitive and there's a sense of adrenaline attached to it. And I'm such a study nerd. I love the preparation involved in it. So like I loved the work leading up to it, plus the performance aspect of it. So I think mm. all of that in coalesce, you just fall in love with it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, and not everyone can do it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, you're about ready to go live in like three, two, like let's <laughs> go. And you've got somebody in your ear. That's crazy. Mount by Q&A actually is also uh, previously a personality, a TV personality. He was when... Uh, Siskel and Ebert had their movie reviews. He was the yeah. comedy movie review critic in LA. Oh, Found no way. Kine. Yeah, Johnny Uzerak, Johnny U, the Johnny U show. He actually is asking you, did you always want to be on camera? And how long did it take for you to get comfortable in front of the camera? Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't want to be in, in, in front of the camera. Pretty obvious. Um, and it took me a while to really actually own myself and get comfortable. I loved it after the first time, like after the first three seconds, I loved telling stories and it just felt natural, but I wasn't comfortable yet because I was trying to be something that it wasn't because in my head, I had this idea of what TV broadcasters and announcers are like, and it takes a long time to get over that. And then I think too, what was hard for me, I never grew up in a super critical environment, competitive. Yes. Athletic. Yes critical no and tv can be very critical and there's always someone who wants to change what you're doing a little bit or change how you look or uh, change how you talk or change what you're saying and it in some ways when i first started would have been really easy to give up because so many people kind of have this opinion of at the time what a reporter should look like and what they should do and it it took a long time for me to develop enough confidence in myself to say no this is how I want to sound when I'm on TV. And these are the stories I want to tell. And I know these athletes more than sometimes my director did, or sometimes my producer did. And I know this story is good. And I know this story is going to hit home for people at home because I too am a fan. So it takes a while for you to get confident enough to trust your own voice. 
So that was the one thing that I think I really struggled with when I first started. Oh, it takes some bravery as well. I mean, to to be able to push back and just say, yeah, I I know these athletes. I know how the story is supposed to sound. I know, I know this is the way I'm supposed to do it. Well, even for yeah. you with the podcast, you know, I think anytime you're putting yourself in a position to be in front of, you know, people, whether it be your fans, friends, family, you're exposing yourself to criticisms that normally you wouldn't welcome into your private life and your space. Right. Yes. So it, and it gets complicated and I'm sure even having a podcast, you face some of that too. And there are criticisms you can grow from and get tough and you're, you know, you're used to it. But I think that's something that all of us kind of can struggle with. And it's something I certainly struggled with at the beginning of my career was listening too much to what other people had to say. Yeah. And it was at the point then when you felt confident enough just to be you, you started yeah. feeling the camera somewhat go away. Like it, you started getting in your zone with it or. Well, the cameras never bothered me. I felt more like when I got confident with myself that I, the voices from the, you know, the 16th floor at Fox or at NBC or at, like, I was always, I wanted to make them proud. Right. So like I, and it's not even voice. It's not like they were talking or saying they, no one ever called me up and was like, Hey, Kristen, you're not doing a good job. I was always overworking and they were always like, Kristen, you're doing great. But in my head, I had it that I wasn't good enough. And so I had to work harder or I had to be a certain way. And I think too, a lot of people have this preconceived notion of how you might be just because you look a certain way or because you talk a certain way or you've done this or that, or you know this person or that person. And people drop their own narratives about what you should be. And I listened to the narratives people were drawing up about me rather than just uh, owning myself and being like, at the end of the day, I know who I am. I know who I am in the groups that I'm in and the people that I surround myself with. I know how I act. I know exactly who I am. And so instead of being worried about these narratives that were kind of floating around around me, just focusing on knowing who I am, how I am was so much more empowering because I really did have a sense of like, wait, but I'm a good person and yeah. I know that I'm a good person. So um, not just doing that, but like, articulating that, having the confidence in yourself to allow that to be the foot that you step forward with, that was big for me. And that I think was what changed my career too a lot. Even in the last year was just being able to say like, I am confident in myself finally, because I'm not listening to what other people are saying about me that isn't true or that, or things that I'm telling myself other people are saying about me because I was lacking that confidence. That's huge. You know? That is huge. It's huge that you're able to identify that and then kind of tuck that away, you know? It takes it takes a lot of time and a lot of self-exploration to kind of get to that point. And I mean, at least feel good enough about yourself to figure out how you tick. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. And great advice for anybody who is going to be like following your shoes and wanting to get into what you're doing. And now one of the cool, impressive things, well, before I do that, let me just uh, jump into here. Colorado Kid is on the line. He's uh, one of the mountain bike creators that we see on YouTube. He says, yep, who cares about what other people say? Just send it. Just then, send it, yeah, yeah. And then he also oh, yeah. says, one of my favorite quotes is from Steve Martin. Be so good, they can't ignore you. Yes, I love that. And that's and that's one of the things, it's like, especially no matter what you're doing, I think there's always going to be, you know, critics, but especially in TV and with women, it seems to be, uh, you know, super prevalent. I have other girls who work in TV too, and we all 
go through the same things. Like I'll have a girlfriend, you know, she called me two weeks ago crying and she's like, I just got off a show and I feel terrible. And I'm like, well, did anyone say anything? She's like, no, but I know what my producers are thinking. And <laughs> we go through these things and uh, until you kind of really just own yourself and know yourself, it, it takes a long time to get there, but you finally do. Then I think that's when your career kind of makes a turn for the better. That's cool. That's cool. And now, okay, so you have worked for some some big companies. I mean, we 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 mentioned Fox, uh, NBC. I think when I saw you at X Games Ventura, that was uh, ESPN and ABC. Um, how does it feel working for companies like that? Is that intimidating at the beginning and where you are now, or or is it just like? No, everyone's so nice. Like everyone's so nice that I work with great directors. I work with great TV teams. I work with great producers. They're all wonderful. Like, honestly, they're like family to me now. So I'll go out and have a beer with them after and um, I'll get notes. I'm my harshest critic nowadays. When I first started, maybe not. But nowadays I am the worst on myself because again, we're our own worst enemies. We tell ourselves that people are seeing us in a certain way because of maybe the insecurities we have. But um, yeah, it's, it, that doesn't bother me at all. And what's great too, is all those companies, um, have allowed me to keep exploring different avenues and action sports is very segmented niche and it's a truly marginalized, um, but some of those sports are very marginalized. So being able to tell them, Hey, I really want to live in this action sports world and they're fine with that. And they're not going to push me towards sports that I don't necessarily want to cover. It's just been so cool. Super, That's super cool. cool. That's really I've had a good cool. experience on that side, like with, with the big corporations side, like the ABCs and the NBCs, but I'm also a little bit further down the totem pole. I know not everyone has such a like candy unicorn rainbow sort of experience, but I have been very blessed in that. So I'm lucky yeah. in that way. That's really cool. And I love being able to watch your Instagram and see you, you know, travel and work all over the, all over the world. I mean, you were just recently in Dubai covering a race out there. That, yeah. was, that was super that cool. That was such a cool experience. Yeah, that was very cool. MTBTNA says, don't be your harshest critic, be your biggest fan. There yeah, you go. thank you. I yeah. I wish I knew that 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone on the other side who is a workaholic like I was. Um, yeah, agree. Take that, print that, put it on a post-it on your mirror. So you're out there and you're doing your work for these big corporations. You're having fun. You are comfortable being yourself. The training that goes into what you do, you make it look effortless. Watching you at X Games of Ventura, I could see you prepping and prepping and prepping. For example, the the BMX uh, competition. Yeah. Those guys were going all out crazy. And I could see you in between takes, like looking and reading and reading. And then when it came time for the athletes to come to you, like, you were just Johnny, Kristen on the spot, Kristen beat on the spot. Do you train for that? to get like that proficient and that quick with what you're going to say, knowing you have like a certain amount of time, or does that just kind of come along with the territory? Yeah. So I study a lot ahead of time, but X games provides an incredible research team. And I think a lot of that is using the research they provide you, which is a great amenity because in a lot of sports I cover, we don't have the, the depth of research that they provide you at X games, but being able to in that very small window, uh, use the research they gave you to draw storylines because sometimes storylines are just, Hey, the athlete told me this. It's looking back to their history and saying, Oh, the last time they won a silver medal or they won a medal at X games was 
five years ago. It's been a while. I wonder what happened between then and now. And then yeah. going and asking them that question, what happened between mm. then and now? Like what changed for you, for you to be able to get back here? How does it feel to get back here? But using that research and data they provide you, um, I think is more of, uh, it's not something you can necessarily practice. It's just being aware of it and being able to use it in that moment and being creating an awareness enough of being able to be like, okay, I know these amenities exist. How do I use them? And how do I convey them confidently? So. Oh, interesting. Wow. That's cool. So that's all personalized by the reporter or person telling the story in that time slot. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. And there's everyone gets this in their head, like, oh, there's going to be someone in her ear telling her what to say. There is never anyone. If you're a reporter, every once in a while, like my a producer of mine will give me like a dad joke to make me smile because I sometimes get like really good <laughs> face and he'll tell me like a silly dad joke and that's about it. Or they'll give you like a countdown or they'll tell you like, hey, this athlete is they'll give you updates, but they're never going to say, ask them this unless you know, you're in a special circumstance or there's something they really feel like you should be asking, but there's no one in your ear telling you what to say. So. Wow. That's really cool because when you do your job, obviously you do it well. That's just so much work that nobody gets to see behind the scenes. You know, you just come up, you do it, and then you're you're gone. But yeah, that's a ton. Yeah, Mountain Bike Q&A is saying yes, research. Like, a lot goes on behind the scenes to make it look so smooth. Yeah, thank you. It, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes, that's for sure. Speaking of when we're talking about uh, things going on behind the scenes to make things look good, I know one of the things when you were in Dubai, you got to go ride horses yeah. on the beach and looked amazing. And this is kind of leading into, you know, the love and the work that you do outside of television for animals. And here you are on the other side of the world and you're like, I'm going to jump on a horse and, and get out there. <laughs> Your love for animals uh, really shows in your in your Instagram. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, we are what we give back, right? So yeah. it, in the past year, I've been super involved with All Kids Bike, which is a great program that brings um, and very much part of the bike community that provides bikes and uh, teaches children in underprivileged schools how to ride bikes. Um, so I've been super involved with that, and then also very involved with ASPCA. And mm -hmm. I've been involved with ASPCA for almost 10 years now. And through the ASPCA, um, I work with fostering dogs, which is so much fun. Whoa. And, Wait, yeah, what, so, what kind of dogs are they? So all different kinds of dogs. But right now I've, I've been fostering for the last year smaller dogs. I've got a senior. So I have a dog I adopted, which kind of inspired a lot of um, my fostering. But this is Rocky Doll. Yeah, that's Rocky. Was that he, uh, He's a four pound Yorkie and uh, when we adopted him, he was special needs. So he's blind and deaf, but we, at, at the time I was just like, this is a dog I want to help. So I adopted Aww. him. And then after that, I was like, I want to start fostering. And I fostered horses and um, dogs. And along the way, I think at this point I fostered like 30 different dogs and it's so hot. Wow. Yeah. And you get them in. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you'll see their before and after pictures. But sometimes you get these dogs that have been through such traumatic life circumstances and just trying to help them, you know, yeah, hey, there's one of them. And then there's Hope. I've got a story about Hope too, our horse. Um, so there's Hank. He was, and then there's Hope and Chief and they are the best. Um, I rescued Hope from a kill pen. We weren't sure if she was even going to make it. 
super, super emaciated. So much so we uh, didn't test her for being pregnant. And three months into fostering her and feeding her, uh, found out she was pregnant. So, wow. uh, and we decided to go ahead and keep both mama and baby because wow. it was a very special story. You don't often, um, you know, rescue a kill pen horse and find out you got two for one. And it, she's just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful horse. But we've been yeah. fostering horses and dogs. My mom helps me. And uh, with it a lot, because obviously when I travel, people are like, how do you bring these dogs with you? My mom <laughs> is such a sport. So she'll come over and watch all the dogs. And um, the, the turnaround process is just beautiful. And I think I'm really glad that the world is changing and that nowadays they people don't see rescue dogs as being damaged goods. After COVID, there were so many people who got dogs during COVID, went back to work and realized I don't have the time for a dog. And unfortunately... Oh. They, you know, have surrendered dogs to shelters at this point, even now before Christmas, the shelters are just bursting. They are filled at the seams with dogs needing homes and cats needing homes and animals needing homes. There's Sky. Um, and that's my niece, right? That's Riley, Riley Pye. Um, I know she's a, she's a precious. <laughs> I'm, I'm number one auntie, just Aww. put it that way. But uh, right now there are so many animals in local shelters that need homes and in before the Christmas holiday, especially, we were trying to encourage folks to get out there and adopt because even just in my area, you know, we live a little bit out in the country and, um, I, yeah, I do too. Mountain bike Q and A animals aren't things. I agree with you. So if you guys this year are looking at, there's Rocky dog. That's my OG. Um, <laughs> so cute. But the three shelters near nearest my home out in the country, they won't even accept surrenders right now because they are so full because there are so many animals that needs homes. So before you go to a breeder, before you go, if you're a breeder, um, before you breed, just, you know, we try to encourage people to do the right thing and to adopt. And if you have enough love and room in your home for a second dog and get a second dog, if you're like me, get five, you're fine. Uh, everything will turn out okay. If you don't have... If you have a problem, a dog will fix that. Or you'll find enough problems by getting five dogs that you will forget about that first problem. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that's been a passion project for me. So, and uh, just big animal person and try to encourage folks to get out there and adopt before the holidays. Yes, I love it. I've had the last three dogs I've had. I've had four dogs my whole life. Uh, one when I was a kid growing up and then the other three were all, they're all rescues. Yeah. And every That's single great. one, I feel like they know, they just yeah. know they're like, mm -hmm. this is freaking awesome. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're so thankful. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, I have brought home some dogs that have had trauma issues or you can tell they're just scared or they, a lot of the dogs that we foster, um, will have trauma issues out of all the 30 dogs that I've randomly fostered. None have had behavioral issues. So this idea that, Oh, it's going to be a mean dog or someone gave it up because they didn't want it. That's not the case, especially not right now. That is not the case. These are great dogs that are at the shelter and sometimes even purebred dogs at the shelter is just waiting for a home. Yes. So, so true. I, I love German Shepherds. That's just the particular, I love all dogs, but I was yeah. thinking like for the family, you know, I would love to get a German Shepherd for the kiddos. And I went to a German Shepherd Rescue Center in Los Angeles. I thought maybe there was only going to be like 10 dogs there to, to, to pick. There was over 100 German Shepherds there. 
yeah. to pick. And it was like, it was so hard because you just want to take them home, you yeah. know, you just want to take them all. And uh, the one that we actually took home ended up picking us. Yeah. After looking at all the dogs, the one that came up to the kids was like licking their hand and trying to stand next to them. And uh, that was missing. They pick you. They pick yes. you. Yes. And she's yeah. so, she's so cute. Now my cute is saying 30 dogs. You are a saint. We have fostered quite a few over the last few years. And I mean, when you think about it, it's not that many. It's maybe like one, a, one every other month for three years, you know? That's, yeah. Yeah. Three years, four years. Yeah. So yeah. we fostered, you know, 30, if not more. So. Wow. Bound by Q&A is right on there with us. He says, I have a rescue and he is the most loving animal. They yeah. are. Yeah. Rescue is the best breed. They yeah. Really are. They know. So with your platform, are you, have, are you able to, to do a lot of this work when you have time, uh, find help, find them homes, obviously. It's a whole process. So you. Yeah. Like most of the time, I'll go directly to the person who's surrendering them or directly to the hospital that they were dumped at. And uh, I'll pick them up, take them to the vet, get them microchipped, get them spayed or neutered, do their teeth if they need their teeth done. And then I bring them back home. I do a character evaluation. So I'll keep them for about two weeks. I'll you know bring a kid around, see how they interact with the kid. I'll bring other animals around, see how they interact with other animals. And then go through the process of trying to find them a home, which sometimes is harder than you think. Like, it's not like we have a waiting list of people to adopt dogs right now. So I try to market them on Facebook or I'll share them within our friends groups or post them at my church. And thankfully, we found some great homes for these dogs over the years. But it is a full project. <laughs> but it's, wow. it, I mean, that's what all rescue. There's so many rescues that do that out here. So it's not. Like we're doing anything different. Like when you adopt a dog, for the most part, you are adopting a um, ready-to-go best friend. So. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Ready-to-go best friend. That's exactly how Athena was. Uh, ready-to-go best friend. And uh, yeah, she had she had just got spayed, and so I, you know, I couldn't. When I brought her home, she smelled like urine, and I think oh, she bad. had parasites and. I just, there wasn't much I could do to comfort her until like, you know, those, those, the sutures were able. Yeah. And then I could like give her in her ribs were sticking out and everything. And now she just looks like, she looks like she's been training in the gym with the football team. She's just like ready to rock and roll. And she loves when I bust out the mountain bike, she's like, where are we going? Is this time? It's time to hit the trails. So does yeah. she go on the trails with you? She does. That's she so does. cool. I love, yeah. I love stories like that where you end up bringing a, a pup home that gets to have a life like that. That's awesome. Yeah. She, she loves, it. I have a trail system out close to me that she'll go running and then I'll know when it's too far. She'll tell me, she's like, all right, dad, you're out of water. I'm tired. She'll start making her way towards home and just looking back at me like it's time to go. Yeah. So yeah. That's, I love that though. That's so cool. It's so good. It's so good. Kristen, we're almost up on, on an hour of having you on the episode and we've pretty much gone full through your, full your story and then into your work with animals and how you love animals. Um, I guess two last remaining questions would be if somebody is looking to get into the action sports world and be like the next Kristen beat out there reporting any advice for them as they say they're they're on the beach right now listening to this podcast watching the waves crash at uc san diego and they're like i want to do what she did how well what's the best advice you, you give them i 
would say don't give up because there's so many times in a competitive industry like this where you'll be competing against you know people who just want to be on TV because they want to be on TV and they don't care what they do. You'll be competing mm. against people who love the sound of their voice. And so they're, you know, wanting to be on TV for that reason. And then there's people who just genuinely truly love stories. And in that scope of competition, it can be really easy. And even just from the, you know, we talked about it earlier from the criticism standpoint, there's a lot that you mentally and emotionally go through. So as long as you can persevere and stay resilient um, and remind yourself of the reasons why you love doing it and make it fun. Don't oh. get so caught up. And yes, I do know Don Maeda from Swap Moto. He is the best. Um, we love Don. Don's awesome. If you can make it fun, you will lengthen your career, right? And so if you can stay in it, don't give up, be persistent. It's not going to happen overnight. It's just not, no matter how hard you work, you're not going to go from college to covering the Super Bowl. Um, and sometimes even the best reporters don't get the job. There's so much that goes into those decision makings, but do not give up. Keep knocking on doors. Don't get so set in just one, you know, this is the only way I can get there. This is the way to do it. There are lots of ways to find success. So my big thing is just don't, don't give up. I love it. Great advice. So if you're out there and these, this voice is ringing through your headphones, great advice by Kristen V. Uh, specifically for the, the listener out there who needed this. So, Kristen, that is awesome. Now, as far as the, let's talk to the person who's been thinking about getting an animal, thinking about getting a dog. They're maybe in their career now. They either have a significant other or maybe they're by themselves and they just kind of want to open their heart up and yeah. get themselves a new best friend. What would you say to that person who's kind of like, I'm not sure, should I do it? Should I not? Why? I, so, for me personally, it's not, should I get a dog or should I not get a dog? Uh, or should I get a cat or should I adopt an animal or not? Once you know you're going to, you should never do it unless it is 100% I'm in because you have to be fully committed to bringing someone home and expanding your family. But once you are, why a breeder dog or why a, you know, why adopt a dog? For me, the answer is always adopt a dog. And the reason I say that is because from my experience, at least, the adoption process is so great because when you find like a private rescue or even a humane society, they're going to match you with the best fit for your family. So while you may think having a 200 pound Great Dane is a really great idea in a 200 square foot apartment, that you're going to go down to a breeder, you're going to get this dog, you're going to keep it for four years. And when it gets big, it's going to start knocking over lamps and you don't think of all these things, right? But the people at the rescue agencies are equipped and are experienced in matching people with their best dog type too. So they're going to help you do that. They're going to help you find a great forever friend and they're going to help match you and your family for what you need. So if they know that, you know, a certain dog does well with kids and you have kids, they're going to match you with that dog. Um, mm -hmm. It's just such a foolproof process for bringing in someone to your family. Whereas with a puppy, you never know what you're going to get. Um, so that's always my argument there. So like, we'll have folks who will call up and say, we're on the fence about adopting or we may want to buy. And I'm like, well, we know this dog gets along with yeah, kids. We know this dog is potty trained. We know this dog does really well on a leash. So if those are all things you're looking for, you're not having to take a gamble there. And yeah, it might be two years old, but who's counting, you know? Yes. So there, there's 
such benefits to adopting. I mean, beyond just the philanthropic standpoint of saving a life because you truly are saving a life. So, Yes. Wow. Well said. I love that. 110%. Kristen, you've been so awesome. And I really agree. I just love having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on. No, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I love the mountain bike community. Y'all have always been so good to me. And every time I'm on the trails, that whole mountain bike community is awesome. Y'all smile. Sometimes y'all laugh at me and I just, I enjoy (laughs) y'all supporting me when I go out there to get on two wheels. So excited to have been on here. Heck yeah. I love it. I love it. And for the folks that are listening and they want to follow, where can they follow you and what do you have coming up next? Where can they see you on TV next? Yeah. So my next um, big show is going to be my next. I January is packed for me, but the first coming up is going to be arena cross. That'll be the first week of January. I'll be out in Kansas covering that on Fox sports one. And you guys can follow me on Instagram at Kristen underscore B. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen B. We'll see you guys all on the next episode. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in and uh, Kristen and I will see you all later. See you guys at the top. Thank you so much, Mark. And that is a wrap on episode 136 with Kristen Beat. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And I just absolutely love talking to Kristen about what she does as a career, her humble beginnings out there in El Cajon, San Diego area, and what she's up to now, as well as the animal rescue efforts and work that she does with the ASPCA, as well as helping get kids on bikes. Kristen is definitely one of those folks who is an ambassador of the action sports world, telling the stories and expanding the interest within the world of action sports, which we all love. So Kristen, thank you so much for what you do. And if you guys want to follow more of Kristen B, you can follow her on Instagram at Kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N underscore beat, B-E-A-T. Also take a look at her on Fox Sports 1 as she will be covering Moto coming up and a lot of the amazing races that will be going on there as well. As always, I do want to leave you guys with a, with a great reminder and a good message. You know I always say, hey, all of your hard work will always pay off, so make sure you're betting on yourself. But on top of that, as we go into the holiday, uh, holiday season, remember, you learn more from failure than you do from success. So as you look back in 2023, and if there was any time that you fell down, that you failed, know that you learn more from failure than from success. So don't let it stop you. Failure builds character. It takes a lot of character to get back up and to go back and learn what you did wrong and to change that and move forward. As Will Smith would say, fail often and fail forward. Until we see you guys all back here on the next episode, which will be episode 137. And I got a great end of the year podcast plan for you guys. So I hope you guys will make it back here to the studio. We'll see you then. And again, bet on yourself because all of your hard work will always pay off. See you guys at the top. Thank you.